What do you hear? What do you say? Welcome to another edition of Hotel Talk. My name is David Eisen, and this is my podcast you are listening to right now. It's great to be back with you. I am actually back stateside, back in Washington, D.C., recording this podcast from my home. If you don't know, I record from my laundry room only because that's where the best sound in the apartment is, dead quiet. So I record from there, but I'm back from Europe. I was in Europe for, get this, listener, 25 days. I was I left September 30th, and I only returned October 24th. Uh, a whirlwind tour of, of Europe, first hitting uh, the UK. Um, I was there for a conference that our company, Questex, operates called the Annual Hotel Conference. Big success in Manchester, uh, UK, which is just uh, I guess a couple hours north of London. Weather wasn't actually uh, too bad. I was expecting, you know, you expect uh, wind gusts, rain and chill in the air, but not so bad. Um, the only thing I'm angry about going to Manchester was I didn't get to see my beloved Manchester City uh, play Manchester United in the, in the Derby, what they call the Derby, but that's okay because they beat them pretty badly uh, anyway, so it wouldn't have been a great game to, to go to anyway. But I was there and then back to London for a week, which was um, well, a week or more actually, which was fantastic. London is a uh, fantastic city if you uh, uh, like to shop, if you like to eat, uh, if you like to take in the arts. Um, and for me, just to walk around the streets because, you know, living in New York for many years, which I did in other cities in the US, London is a whole other breed. It's a, uh, it looks, it just feels like a fairy tale when you're walking around every time you pop down a street it's like uh walking into a uh, what do you call it a hogwarts no sorry J- the jk rowling harry potter books that i've never read um but i've had to sit through some of those movies but everything looks kind of like that very fairy tale-ish but that was fantastic so spent some time in london uh then i uh, went to Italy with a colleague of mine. Well, not my colleague, my but my boss, uh, for the Italian Hospitality Investment Conference in a in a uh, resort area called Rimini, Italy. Which you know, when you go to Italy, you, it's not a place you'd probably uh, you know the first place you'd pick. Uh, usually, it would be Venice, it would be Florence, it would be Milan, and then obviously. You know the uh, Amalfi Coast. Anyway, Rimini is kind of in the, in the in north-ish, northwest-ish, if my geography is correct. I think it no northeast-ish. Excuse me. Um, fantastic conference. Uh, beautiful little town there. Actually, uh, Federico Fellini was born there, so they have a museum there uh, for him. If you're a big fan of, well, not even Italian cinema, just cinema in general. Eight and a half um, was it? You know, one of the. Um, seminal films. So that that was a good conference to attend, right? Going to Italy. Uh then back in the in London for a while, then we had a conference uh called the Resort and Residential Forum in Portugal in the Algarve. Another great resort area, which was just obviously fantastic. We got about I'd say about five, good 500 delegates there all talking about resort industry, the Mediterranean, what's going on uh there. So that was an, another fantastic event. And then my work kind of was done. I went to, I popped over to Spain with my wife for a wedding in a town called Leon, Spain, which sounds almost French, Leon, but it's actually in Spain. Um, I've been there before, actually. Some relatives up there. And the Spaniards, uh, dear listener, know how to party. They know how to throw out a wedding. Um, when you think about food and wine, it doesn't get much better than a Spanish 
wedding, uh, dancing, um, lots of drinking, a lot of uh, dancing, a lot of eating, a lot of eating jamon, which is my favorite thing in the world. It's a um, uh, the the meat pork of, of Spain. The uh, the pigs there they feed on acorns, uh, which gives it such a robust taste. It's a very uh, it's an unctuous meat. It's oily. It's delicious. So it's a delicacy. I get that I can't really get in this in the states like you can in spain so eating a lot of that and then i return i mean i listen i i I will not recommend going away anywhere for more than you know when you're to go away for more than three weeks you have to take more luggage for one thing and to be honest i've never had to do this before but i had to actually do laundry while i was in uh, the uk not myself i had to send it out i sent it out to be done but i had to get it done either way so i had to send the laundry out don't worry i know how to do laundry i do laundry at home i lived in queens for five years in new york where no one had laundry in their unit their apartment so you always had to do it yourself anyway but i sent the laundry out that's a long time to be away three weeks but um i will tell you that london was packed i mean the stores were packed the streets were packed restaurants were packed i think the strong dollar might well if it didn't it certainly helped me when i I was there i actually purchased a new suit and now i have uh two suits i i was literally going to conferences in the suit i got married in so it's nice to have another suit now, you know, one that I can also wear. This one was like a charcoal, very kind of a dark gray, uh, spiffy. I like it. Pair it with a nice white crisp button-down shirt and a tie, and you're and you're good to go. And I like the charcoal, but you know, with black, you know, you can only wear black shoes. With a charcoal suit, you can go brown, you can go black. There's you know, there's a lot of different colorways you can go with that. So that was all. <clears throat> that was good to be able to buy a suit over there and not to uh, pay double for it when the uh, almost double when the pound was obviously stronger. So that was great. And now I am back in the States, as I as I said before. Today on the show, special great show, Lindsay Uberoth. Have you heard of the Uberoth name? As I as I, I discussed on the uh, the podcast, the Uberoth name uh, pulls a lot of weight, pulls a lot of water uh, in California. It's a well-known name there. Lindsay is the CEO of Preferred Hotels and Resorts, uh, which is a collection of fantastic I mean, some of the most fantastic hotels in the world. But when you're talking about just stateside, some of the hotels within their collection, within their portfolio, I think you call it portfolio. You know, they got the Mark Hotel in New York, great hotel. You have the Montage Kapalua Bay. You have hotels at Pebble Beach, which I got to get out to and play around the golf there, right? It's a little pricey to still play Pebble Beach if you can get on. I think you're talking $500, so you better get your money's worth when you're playing there. The Baccarat Hotel in New York is another fantastic property within their portfolio. And you have the, I love this one, the, the, is it the uh Palm Beach or the O Palm Beach? I read it as uh. I think it's O. Anyway, I should have asked her that. I don't think I did. But anyway, Lindsay's on the program. Uh, the Uberoth name, as we as we talk about, uh, it has uh, oh, it, it's it's got credibility. It's got cachet. Your father, John Uberoth, started uh, preferred hotels and resorts. You might be familiar if you're a sports fan with her uncle Peter Uberoth, who was the former uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball. He also was really responsible for bring helping bring the Olympics to Los Angeles back in 1984, I believe. Uh, so we talk about her family, her upbringing, leading a company like this, uh, going in, you know, obviously taking you through uh, uh, the recession, uh, not not the recession. Wow, the recession's on my mind. Could be a recession, but actually the GDP news came in today. It was up two point three percent, so not so bad. So I think we're I think we're okay, at least in the hotel industry as as we've seen. And um, but leading it through the pandemic and uh, taking that through 
to where it is today. So we talk a lot. You'll hear about her family, her upbringing, uh, and then obviously leading uh, leading a hotel company such as Preferred Hotels and Resorts. But it's a interesting time for the hotel industry. Q3 numbers just came out recently. I was looking at Hilton and Wyndham both both reported uh, uh, good numbers. The data was good. Here's my favorite thing. So you look at Hilton's report, right? Hilton Q3, the results exceed expectations. Don't you love that when it says exceed expectations? And really what that means is that we will underpromise and when and then we'll overshoot. Underpromise and overshoot, right? It's like we'll say we're going to come in here, but then when we do better, we can say we exceeded expectations, which sounds so good or they've exceeded expectations. Um, but really the numbers were strong. It's interesting. The, uh, the lodging corps are still comparing to 2019 levels. I wonder how long that will go go on for. But for you know for Hilton, their Q3 rev par was up 5% over Q, uh, Q3 2019. So they're up there. Um, and they have a pipeline around, it looks like 416,000 416, rooms globally. Uh, we have heard about there has obviously been some supply constriction out there. And that might even be uh, more so going forward with the way interest rates are right now and what the Fed is doing to kind of slow the economy down. They want to slow the economy down. Um, so Hilton did, they did well though, you know, so EBITDA 732 million, 40, up 43, 41% year over year. They opened almost 13,000 rooms in the quarter. So good job for Hilton. Wyndham, they did quite well as well. Actually, the company saw its highest US rev par ever recorded for Wyndham Brands in the in Q3. Said uh, my good friend, well, I don't know if they say, I say my good friend, but my friend maybe, he knows who I am. Wyndham President and CEO, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bellotti, great, great gentleman, a great guy. Also talks about how occupancy still has, has um, room to recover, but it's interesting with rev par is still up because I think obviously it's being led by by rate and you can kind of sacrifice some occupancy if you're getting those strong those strong rates right which uh, lower occupancy actually helps on the on the cost side when you look at housekeeping and labor so um, the performances have done you know quite well they're still coming in but it's it's all kind of still uh, rosy for the hotel uh, industry not so much Facebook though they took it on the chin eh oof I think Mark Zuckerberg you know it's in you know to lose billions and billions in dollars overnight. Um, I guess I wish I had that problem, but anyway, not so good for Facebook. Anyway, um, let's see what else I'm recording this on a Thursday. Tomorrow starts the world series of baseball, Philadelphia Phillies against the Houston Astros. To be honest, I'm a big baseball guy. As you might know from past podcasts, I played it growing up big Baltimore Orioles fan. Um, they had, they, they had a strong showing this year. Obviously they didn't make the playoffs, but strong showing. So, okay. I'm going to give you my prediction. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the Phillies and six only because I don't know. I still think the Astros are cheaters. You know, they got caught in that whole scandal with the, with the cheating. I don't know what's going on with them. Who knows that they're still not, maybe they, they found a new way to cheat. I don't like that stuff. I don't like cheating in any sport. PEDs or stealing signs. Well, stealing signs, you can, you know, there's a science to that, but when you're actually using video, video and things like that, I, I'm, I'm old school like that. I don't believe in it. So I'm going to go with the Phillies and six. Bryce Harper, he's going to get a ring. Wait, did he get a ring in the Nationals? No, I don't think he did. I think he left. 
anyway, I'm that's I'm I, I'm gonna go with Phillies and six. I'm sticking with it. You heard it here first. So um, this is not a, obviously this. I want to make a disclaimer. This is not a, a betting, uh, you know, a betting um, line. I don't want you to go out there and throw money down the Phillies just because I said they're gonna win in six. But that's my prediction. I'm sticking with it. Uh, without further ado, let's talk to Lindsey Ubroth. Hey, good morning, Lindsay. How are you? It's great to see you again, albeit uh, not not in person uh, through a screen. But it's it's great to see your face again. I think the last time we were together was at it was an actual uh, conference in Los Angeles. Um, obviously, the, the pandemic made it such that there was no kind of human to human contact. But um, hopefully, we'll get to see each other in person again soon. But it's great to great to speak with you again, and welcome uh, to my podcast. Welcome to Hotel Talk. It's great to be here. A great way to start my Monday. Fantastic. No better way to start start your money than to be speaking with me, of course. So, you know, it, it's great to speak with you right now because as I kind of uh, mentioned when we spoke before and you know, um, I go way back in the travel industry, obviously you do, on the media side. And the company that I worked for when I, was, when I first started, I was with Travel Agent Magazine and Luxury Travel Advisor Magazine. And literally the first ever kind of profile I did was on your father, uh, John U. Roth. I flew from New York to Newport Beach. And I remember staying at the Hotel Balboa, which I'm not sure is still one of your hotels, but I stayed there. Fantastic property. And um, I came to your office and I I met, obviously you were there, uh, your mother, Gail, and I sat down with John. We had a good, you know, hour talking about, you know, his career in travel. Um, And this was before you became uh, CEO of Preferred Hotels and Resorts. You were still um, he was still the the big boss, right? Which I'm still in your life. It's still your father. He, maybe maybe you think of him as always the boss, right? But I remember, you know, the, that kind of uh, coming to the office, speaking with him there. Obviously, Newport Beach is beautiful, so it was great to get out of New York for a while. But you know, the first, the biggest thing for me getting out the sense of preferred hotels uh, and and resorts is really it's a family affair. I mean, your your father, um, you know, he acquired the business, I believe, back in around 2005 ish. Um, you were with him at that time, or you were with the company, or you were coming to the company. Uh, you're, obviously, your your mother uh, was there already, and your brother Casey as well. So, um, really, it's a family affair when it comes down to it. Uh, what's that? What's that like? I guess working for a company that um, where you know l- literally you're working, you're going to work with your mom, your dad, your brother. Talk about that first of all. Um, kind of what that feels like working for a company that has such a kind of familial ties to it. Yeah. I mean, family businesses are are definitely unique. And I, I I feel very blessed that I'm in a a very healthy family business. Uh, You know, it's unique because the company has been around a lot longer than us. We didn't found it, but so we're first generation, or I guess transition to second generation now. And um, I love it. I, I think the best way I would describe it is, it feels very different when you own the business. I think you put a very different lens on how you do things and um, a very different set of values and, and work ethic to it. Um, I think my parents are two of the most interesting people, so I enjoy spending time with them. Um, I'm lucky that I consider them both both mentors. And from, from the outset, I remember when my parents um, made the decision to, to buy the company, um, the one d- discussion that we had as a family was, um, we're only going to do this as long as we're all having fun. And that at any point, if there was a sense that this was going to ruin the family dynamics or um, it was it was really starting to to disrupt the family, then and that was it. You know, this was something we were all passionate about. So um, 
So hopefully that gives a little bit of color to the, you know, it's like in our family business. Yeah. And, you know, it it strikes me as like you hear sometimes like a a husband and a a wife creating a business and sometimes there can be a little bit of a strife in there. But I guess it's a good thing that, well, your your father and your mother obviously married, but, you know, um, beyond that, it was more like kind of, you know, son, daughter, mother, father, uh, tight knit unit. And and look, it it succeeded. Right. So obviously, I'm sure I'm sure at some point there are kind of, you know, conversations where decisions are made that maybe someone has a different viewpoint. But it seems like you are always able to kind of work it out together when there are those. Absolutely. I mean, there are absolutely. And there still are days where I trust me, I've I've walked into a room and sat down and said, I'm on the verge of not liking doing this anymore. Right. You know, that's code. That's code of saying we're not you know, we're we're not agreeing on something. And and Let's figure out how to make this work because, like I said, at the end of the day, we all love each other, but we're running a business. And so I mean, sure. that's always the other thing, too. I mean, to say we're, we're going to sit down and have a business discussion. And then we have pretty hard, fast rules about how we how we conduct ourselves. when We're just family. So right. uh, it keeps it healthy. But Well, I think you guys have made it work. I mean, you have more than what? 650 hotels globally. I don't know if that number is probably, maybe you signed another one today. It's, mm-hmm. it, that's rising. I mean, this is a company that um, has grown exponentially, right? Um, particularly, the, you know, the hotel industry with its ebb and its flow, its different cycles. Um, it's not an easy business, you know, it's not an easy business, but you guys are really kind of pa- powered through that and really be able to, to grow the business. Now, I want to just bring it back a little bit well, before we get to the future, but your father, right? I mean, he's always kind of been a travel, that's where, that's that's always been his business. Now, I remember, um, he, I believe he started a travel agency called Ask Mr. Foster, if I, if I get that correct. Um, so what do you think about travel? Why has it always been in the kind of Uberoth uh, blood um, what, how did he kind of get his kind of start and what, and, and beyond that, did he kind of, you know, did he push it on you to, to stay within the family business, stay within travel or is it something you just kind of pulled to like a moth to a flame type of thing? Um, okay. Well, I'll see, how, I'll see if I can start from the beginning. So in terms of my father, how did he get into it? I think a little bit twofold. I mean, if you were to, I, I'm trying to remember some of his history, but he was in the Navy. So he got to travel around the world in the Navy. And I think that to him, um, you know, he grew up in a, a nice upper middle class family, but they really did just traveled domestically. So I think that was piece part of it. Then he also worked with my uncle Peter quite extensively, who had also started in the travel industry. So I think those two hand in hand, um, you know, just led him to to just have this passion for travel. Um, as it relates to, was it ever pushed on me? No, I mean, almost to a point of it's almost comical. You know, I, I grew up as a child traveling a lot. Every every family vacation, um, we traveled internationally. Um, I was very blessed. I mean, at one point in time, I think I was going into eighth grade. My parents took my brother and I out of school for eight months, and we traveled um, around the world for over six months. We started in wow. in Siberia. You know, we, we, we took the Siberian Express. You know, we traveled through um, what, you know, now there's countries that don't even exist. You know, this, you right. know the, this, it was the Soviet Union then, and there was the Easter Bloc. We went through Checkpoint Charlie. I mean, we did it all. So as a kid, Travel was very important to me, but I went to college. I graduated. I went to work for a company called what's now Accenture Consulting. Um, so I say I accidentally fell into the business when um, my dad started acquiring a bunch of travel-related businesses. Um, it was right after 9-11. The consulting business sort of took a, you know, slowed down a little bit because the world didn't fall apart like everybody anticipated. Right. And, um, you know, I ended up going to work with him helping kind of merge these these various travel businesses. And that was where the light bulb went off. And I thought, I, I know this, like, I know the travel industry, I've lived this. 
And, you know, through that and ambassadors and ultimately um, when we acquired preferred hotels or what was that IndyCorp, um, it, it just felt like a very natural fit. You know, it was one of those things. My, my dad never asked me to come work for the business. As a matter of fact, he went out of his way, I think, not to ask me to come work for the business. So I had to really want it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that it wasn't that you need to come work for the, the company. It was, it was, yeah. it was a genuine desire. No, it's like, you know, a lot of, a lot of family, their fa- the father or the, whoever they want their uh, offspring to maybe join. It, it sounds very like, um, uh, Game of Thrones or like I'm watching House of Dragons right now, where it's like you have the king and then the offspring and they become the king. And it's kind of very kind of, uh, like a lineage like that. But actually, I want to bring it back. You, you got to get out of school for six to eight months to go traveling. How did that happen? That, that yeah. sounds like the coolest childhood ever. I wish my parents had pulled me out of school for six months. It wasn't. I wish I appreciated it more at the time. Yeah, I was, you know, we were, uh, yeah, I was going to eighth grade. My brother, I guess, was going into fifth grade. And yeah. you know, my dad was working for what's now Carlson Wagon Lee Travel. But, right. uh, and my mom had always had this 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 vision of, of traveling the globe. And so they set up for us to literally go around the globe. My dad, you know, he was working, so he would come meet us at certain points. He wasn't with us the right. entire time. But, um, you know, it, I look back on that and it it's, I mean, honestly, I think it's why my family believes so strongly in travel because you realize when you have the ability to travel to all these different countries and cultures and you get to witness things. And then, and then as you get older, you watch those change, right? You right. Know, think your checkpoint, Charlie, which doesn't even exist anymore, you know, things like that. Um, it gives you a perspective um, on humanity and, and, and the power of, of connecting with people and, and seeing other cultures and knowing we're really not all that different. You know, we might sure. speak a little different language and eat different things and, and architecture look different, but you know, I, I, it, I've certainly shaped my life. You know, I, I'm yeah. very blessed and I, that was well before uh, cell phones and Instagram and all that. So, you know, I think it also took another level of sort of depth because, you know, we were pretty cut off and you were really, yeah, and you, you weren't just looking at a, at a phone the whole time during your, 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 your your trips. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I can't even remember. I can't even remember. Yeah. You couldn't Google anything, but it's funny. Yeah. Like I, you know, these have been, these are ubiquitous now, but I, I literally don't even remember a time without them. It's weird. Like I don't, but there obviously was a, most of my life was spent without one of these. And I don't know how we got around. I don't know how I, I don't know how I found anything when I was driving. I literally have no idea how I got from point A to point B. The Thomas guides, the good old fashioned Thomas guides. I don't know if you remember those, but. Or a triptych. Yeah. Like a triple A triptych or whatever it yeah. was. So I, I assume on those six to eight months, you had to keep up with your studies though, right? You must have, you know, had to elite, at least cracked a math book, an arithmetic book at, at some point. Yes. Yes. There, there, yeah. there was some actual education that took place beyond travel. Yeah. So I want to get get back to the Uberoth name as the audience. Um, I'm most of, uh, hopefully the audience knows the Uberoth name. Like I had said before, it, um, uh, it draws a lot of water in California. It's a very well-known name. And a lot of that has to do uh, with your uncle, Uncle Peter, who you uh, referred to. Uh, before, I mean, Peter Uberoth from, you know, as a, well, for me as a, um, a sports junkie, I mean, this guy was, well, 1984, right? He brought the Olympics to Los Angeles. He was responsible for that. And then for a good, what, four or five years, he w- he took over for Bowie Kuhn. He was the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I mean, that's a pretty lofty position uh, right there. And I know, and he actually, I read up on him, actually. I do do a little research, Lindsay, for this podcast before I get on. He did a lot of things. Um, 
uh, for baseball um, in terms of, well, now I can, of course, now I can't remember them, but he did do a lot of things for baseball, which, which, uh, um, you know, for, for a sport like that, uh, which is such a traditional pastime that getting anything done, uh, you know, it, it, to, to push things forward can sometimes be difficult, kind of like, you know, I guess passing laws in Congress, it takes a while. Um, but could you talk a little bit about just the, kind of the Uberoth, um, the name, there's, an, I think there's an aura about it um, from your father, from your from your uncle um, and just, you know, was it tough being a Ubroth or was it like, you know, when you went to school, um, did people know you by the name or were there certain times that the name maybe, maybe it helped you get into a club or something like that? I mean, you grew up in California, right? You're trying to get into a club. You say you're a Ubroth, you get right in. Anything like that to share? God, well, I'd like to believe I'm, I was too young to really benefit from getting into clubs maybe, but um, <laughs> I, you know, it, it had, it, there's benefits and, and, and drawbacks to everything, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, when you look back to the Olympics and, and, and baseball and a lot of the things that Michael was, you know, he ran for governor at one point in time. Yes. Um, you know, it, it was great. You know, it, it definitely, you know, people might take a meeting or pay a little bit more attention because of the last name. And I, you know, I'd like to believe we're very well respected as, as well. Um, but at the same token, you have to realize there's two separate families too. And so sometimes I know people would make assumptions about, about me personally or, or the family and you sort of have to remind everybody, it's like, well, no, there's two, there's two separate families here. And, and um, otherwise kind of everybody blends everything together. So, right. um, you know, but I would say, you know, 99% of the time it was all very positive. And the 1% wasn't that it was negative. It was just, I think, making sure that you could kind of remain, keep your own identity and not have people put assumptions upon you. Right. Um, you know, because with notoriety comes, you know, some responsibility. So, um, but it, it certainly kept me hot. And I think my employees say, don't do anything that you wouldn't want to, you know, show up on the front page of the, the newspaper. So, right. So I guess, so, I guess you didn't. Yeah. But I, I think if I had the Uberoth name, I, w- I would be using it around town to get into a certain, you know, bars or whatever it might be. I, w- I would use the last name uh, to, to help me out in some way. But yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there was some way at times. It, it helps me get into the local Italian restaurant down the street, which is now. Well, that's good. It's still yeah. works for me, So I'll take it. That always helps, right? Anything yeah. you can do to get to snag a, snag a table at a, uh, at an in-demand uh, restaurant. Uh, works. So what about you then in terms, you know, we talked a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you go to, um, where did you go to college? First of all, I mean, what, and what, how did that experience, um, you know, mold you as a future kind of maybe leader within the hospitality mm-hmm. industry? Well, to give a little bit of perspective of that. So I, we moved quite a bit as, as kids, everybody thought I was like a Navy brat or something like that, but yeah. you know, I born in, born in Los Angeles. We moved to Minnesota when my, my dad went to work for Carlson Bagnum. Carlson. Yep, came came another, back. To, another family company, by the way. Keeping with I know, another great family company. Yeah. Um, we came back to, to Southern California. That was when we traveled around around the globe. Um, and then ultimately, I ended up going to high school in Hawaii because my dad was running Hawaiian Airlines at the time. So I, I graduated from okay. Punahou. Um, so so there, there's there's sort of it's I'm setting the backdrop for you know I've I've had all these significant moves, at sort of pivotal points in my life, and then I, I ended up going to school in North Carolina at Wake Forest. So in a small town called Winston Salem, North yeah. Carolina. I know well. And my cousin, my cousin went there. I, I visited beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful neck of the woods. Yeah, beautiful country. Demon Deacons. Demon Deacons. Country. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to be a Southern Belle. I was like completely enamored with with the South. And um, yeah, how did it shape my leadership? I, you know, I think moving a lot gives you a lot of um, life skills. You, you learn how to adapt really, really quickly. 
Um, you know, I think the, tra- the travel in my, in my life had also taught me, you know, just, you know, how, how do you, how do you meet people? How do you, you know, sort of form friendships, relationships? Um, you know, it, you certainly alleviate a lot of fear that you have going in a new situation. So to me, college was fantastic. I mean, I really yeah. loved it. I was very involved in, you know, student union, my sorority, and I took a lot of leadership roles. Um, so by the time I graduated and ultimately went to work for, it was Anderson Consulting at the time and yep. change management. Um, you know, I, th- I think all of those things led led to to me being pretty su- successful in sort of transitioning to what are pretty big life lessons. Sure. You know, what, what, I have to ask, what sorority were you in? You were Greek, I was, so was I. Yeah, I was a tried-out. A tried-out. Oh, we had that. I went to Miami University in Ohio where there were a lot of um, – Fraternity life was like at the core of everything kind of we did in terms of like, um, you know, when you're a freshman, you're looking for some place to, um, well, you're just looking for a place to, I guess, go drink beer, right? Without getting, uh, <laughs> and meet girls for me, you know? Yeah. But fraternity life, it's changed a lot though. Like I, I look back at fraternity, I was like, I can't believe I was in a fraternity. What was I thinking? But, uh, but at the time, I mean, you make like lifelong friends. I'm sure you still have friends that were sorority Absolutely. sisters. Absolutely. No, we, they, they, we our, my sorority was just had a, a reunion this, I think two weekends ago. And cool. I, I loved it. Even we, I'm probably like you. I mean, it was a big, probably 80% of the campus probably. Social. Involved in, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a big part of my life and I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't regret it. I certainly have some crazy stories and memories from it though. Oh, you do? Do you want to, do you want to share some of those or are those not, uh, not well, PC let's, for let's, let's do that on the outtake version. Then we can decide okay. that's, that's, yes. that's a separate, uh, that's, you know, wine and some other sort of stories that go with that. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, that's for relegated from my other podcast off the record. With yeah. where she talks about all her uh, sorority escapades and uh, you know, go, well, I'm sure you went to, but Wake Forest is such a great sports town too. I mean, I'm sure you went to some to basketball games um, at some point. Oh, you know, yeah. Jim Duncan was on my freshman hall, so I, I graduated with him. You know, he's obviously gone on. Wow. I was going to say, were you there when Tim? I didn't. I, I you know, I never asked about age, but yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, if, uh, it's pretty cool that Tim Duncan was there, and, and not only there, but on your in your, what, your freshman dorm or yeah, your hall? My, my freshman dorm. Yeah. So he graduated with him. You know, that was, that was an, that was a pretty epic time to, to be at Wake Forest yeah. for basketball for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I rem- I even know the coach at the time. I think it was Dave Odom. They were good. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, well, Tim Duncan, we don't have to say he's, um, I'm sure Tim Duncan stayed at a preferred hotel at some point. And I'm sure maybe, maybe if, 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 if you know, he's going, you'll give him a nice, a nice discount. I mean, he is yeah. a, a college friend of yours. Um, but yeah, but that must've been interesting walking by him in the hallway. I mean, he is seven feet tall. Yep. Yep. He definitely <laughs> stood out. Yeah. He, I would, I would say he definitely stood out. Um, I mean, that's great though. I mean, in terms of, like I said before, like I think it, all your travels kind of lay the foundation for, I think later for, for your career now. So you took, so let's go back to, to preferred hotels and resorts and let's kind of, you know, let's lay it out there a little bit for, for the audience in terms of what preferred hotels um, truly is. So it's a, it's a, um, well, I'll let you explain it better than me, but I know it's more than like I noted before, some 650 hotels or more globally, um, different segments of the, of the industry of the hotel industry as well, all the way from obviously luxury into lifestyle, even into residences, um, as well. But maybe you can give our audience kind of a background about what preferred hotels and resorts is because i think there is a little bit of um not noise but i think people like you know is it is it a is it a brand it's not like it's not like a hilton hotels or a marriott international 
It's different from that, right? Um, but give, maybe give you give a little bit of background about what preferred hotels is and what 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 kind of a, the value is not only for for customers but also the ROI for the owners and hotels you work with. Sure. So so preferred hotels and resorts is is actually one brand within preferred travel group, our corporate entity, and today it represents six hundred and fifty independent luxury hotels, and we're located in about eighty five countries, and. When I say independent hotels, do you, you've already laid that out. So hotel owners or management companies that have made the decision that they don't want to be a hard flag. They don't want to be a Marriott or a Ritz or a Four Seasons or a Hilton. Um, they want to run their hotel independently, partner with preferred hotels and resorts, because what we provide them is global infrastructure in the form of global sales, marketing, um, all the, the technology piece that connects them so that they're bookable and right. kind of any way. Um, we provide them a loyalty program. We provide them quality assurance. So we provide them really just about everything that a hard brand does, but we don't own and we don't manage. Yep. What's the benefit, right? So the, the benefit to that hotel owner or management company is a lot of flexibility. So mm-hmm. it, it allows them to keep their identity. You know, we're kind of the Pentium processor behind them. A much more flexible term. So, you know, management agreements could be upwards of 30 years. years. Yeah, they, yeah, they, right. they could be longer. Um, so, you know, our contract terms are a lot more flexible. Um, the average is around five years, but the good mm-hmm. news is we have hotels that have been with us for 30 years. Yeah. Um, the pricing is very different too, because, you know, unlike the chains where you're paying, you know, there, there's a fee for sort of all the services. Ours are really based on performance. So, you know, you're paying for the business that's booked in addition to some kind of annual brand fee. Sure. So it's, it's flexibility, you know, so you're getting kind of that, that reach, the access, but at a more flexible price point and a more flexible yeah. term, you know, and it's, again, you get to operate your asset very independently. We say freedom on your own terms, you know, that's, yeah. that's, what we're doing. but it's got all of the, the guardrails and benefits that you need for the consumer, the traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think nowadays things have, you know, with the advent of Google and the internet, you know, there used to be this comfort and security to, to chains, right? You knew that room was going to look, pretty much the same regardless of where you were in the world. And, and there was, yeah. there was comfort and security in that, you know, nowadays um, I think people are just searching for something a lot more authentic, a lot more, um, you know, sort of really based on the the location that they're in. And um, it's almost like bragging rights. So I went to this really unique hotel and I always say our properties are, if you go there and you never left, it was like going to a destination its own right. So yeah. by nature of being independent, um, Every one of them is different. You know, they've got different restaurants. They've got different experiences. Um, it's, you know, we call it the independent, independently mind traveler. So if that's who you are and you like something that's, that's different and unique, our hotels are perfect for you. And they're, they're, they're all beautiful. Like I said, they start from ultra luxury down to what we call lifestyle luxury. Yeah. And it's just, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the type of services and amenities and um, overall, you know, product that, differentiates them sure so it's it's good for every traveler i mean not everybody sleeps at, yeah not everybody stays at five-star luxury hotels all the time and some some cities don't even have them right you know you yeah. go to three markets and right it doesn't make sense you know you wouldn't have a hotel like that so and then we provide the loyalty program and all the other benefits and um security i mean i, I think the other cornerstone that's really important to mm-hmm. the traveler but also to I'll call the travel agent side is our quality assurance program. So you know that these hotels have been vetted um, 
not only annually, but daily, because, you know, we've got an online reputation management system that every day is looking at customer yeah. review, benchmarking it again, across our brand standards so that the hotel gets alerted and we get alerted as a brand. If all of a sudden we start seeing a trend of negative reviews, mm-hmm. you know, we, we pick up the phone and say, what's going on in the property? You know, so yeah. we're, we're really on top of that piece of it. So I think it gives a lot of security to the people that are traveling, that they're going to have a, a really good experience when they're staying at our properties. Yeah. And I, if I'm right, there, there's a stringent kind of um, checklist, right? Or, I mean, you have people that go into these hotels, they vet them. I mean, it's like many, many points, right? Of, of you have this, have that. But to your point, it's not, it's your hotels are very kind of, like you said, authentic, bespoke. It's not, you know, I think the, the trend is, it's interesting. The trend is nowadays, it, it was, everyone was talking about authenticity. And, you know, back in the day, it was like, if you stayed at a Marriott in Dallas, it's going to be the same as the Marriott in Mexico City, right? But people really don't want that anymore. But it's interesting now, and that's probably a different discussion, how brands are building out their their hotel prototypes today that you are going to get the same, you know, if you go to a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, heaping it on Hilton, but if you go to a true hotel, you know, in the, the kind of that lower mid scale, the one in in Plano, Texas, is going to be similar to the one in you know Buffalo, New York, which is fine for travelers. But I, to your point, there has to be, you know, for particularly travelers, maybe on the up, upper end of the chain scale, they they want to have that authenticity. But but talk a little bit about how each of these hotels. I know there's a stringent kind of program standards that must be met. I mean, you have people going to these hotels that are literally going through every single you know the public spaces, the, the guest rooms, and making sure that everything is in tip top shape. Yeah, so so we still work with a third party independent um, inspection company. We actually work with Deloitte, and they go in and they do what we call unannounced inspections. So, yeah. and hotels spend a lot of time trying to spot these people. So it's kind of funny, you know. They they want to know when the inspector is coming. Um, so wait, 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 what do they, do they do? They have to wear? Do they have to go like incognito? Like how do they dress? Yeah. When they go in? Okay. No, no, no. They, I mean, their their whole goal is to go have what you would call a normal traveler experience. Now, there might be some things that some might flag them, you know, because sometimes yeah. it's Oh, I'm going to send a package in advance and see if when I check in, the hotel is actually right. like, I mean, I have a package waiting for you. So, I mean, it goes to that that sort of detail. So, it's it's heavily weighted because obviously we expect the hotel to have good um, facilities, right? The actual yeah. product. So, it's heavily weighted on the service side. So, 70% on the service side. So, um, it used to be 1,200 points. I think we're now down to 600 yeah. because we eliminated some of, some of them. But, um, you know, it's it's from... But the booking experience all the way through to checkout. So what is the check-in experience like? What is, and they work in, they test every amenity and facility, the spa, room service, every outlet, um, housekeeping. Um, they do everything from how long does it take to answer the phone? How do they address you when they answer the phone? Do they ask you mm-hmm. if they can enter the room if they're bringing room service? Um, you know, are drains, you know, draining correctly? Uh, you know, it's it's really a very comprehensive process. You know, if you take something out of the mini bar, are they replacing it? So they really yeah. want to make sure that, that the whole process um, and the experience is good. And then when they check out, they then notify the general manager and then they sit down and they, they go through the, uh, the inspection process. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a very detailed process. Um, a lot of our hotels actually uh, incentivize their, their management on that. You know, they yeah. want to make sure that they're, that they're not only passing it, but they're excelling at it. And it's it's a great benchmark, you know. I think it's a great way. And we were, by the way, we we revise these on a regular basis because you remember it used to be to get certain ratings you had to have a, a phone in the bathroom. Well, right. With the advent of cell phones, nobody really needs yeah. that. It used to be, you know, are you going to address somebody by their first and last name, or you know, 
well, Mr. Eisenhower. Sure. Yeah. In some countries, <clears throat> language that's impossible, you know? So it's, it's, it's more now about the nuance of, are you, are you greeting the guest in a way that's, you know, approachable and friendly? So, you know, we evolve them as trends evolve, you know? And so yep. a lot more technologies come into the process, but it's, it's very thorough and um, it's, it's something that we're really proud of. I'm sure it's very nerve wracking though for the GM when they find out because they don't know the person's going to be there, right? And then they get the call and say, "Oh, you know, um, Mr. or Mrs. General Manager, I'd like I'd like to speak with you." I'm, and by the way, I'd love to have this job, but I guess I have to work for Deloitte. For I have to work for a big accounting firm to be able to do that, to walk through and do and do this job. There's other companies that do it. You know, I always thought it'd be a great job too, but you don't get to enjoy it. I think as much as some people, you know, because you're there to do a job, you know, and it's not like you're gonna. Just hang out at the pool all day long. I think it'd be fun for a while, but at the yeah, end of the day, yeah, but I I I would like play a round of golf just to to note how fast the greens are, right? Or yeah. if fairway is is cut <laughs> to a precise um um you know length. Uh, well, I'll actually so I'll give a my own preferred story. I'll give I'll give shout out to the Finca Courtesan uh resort mm-hmm. golf and resort. Um, in Casares, Spain, which is in southern Spain, I go every every year. I go. Well, my wife is uh, she's born in the U.S., but she's Spanish. Her whole family lives in Madrid and Seville, so I'm lucky enough to kind of just ride the coattails of all their hospitality. But I've actually had the the um, the uh, chance to stay at Finca Cortesan twice um, with my good buddy Renee Zimmer, who's a general manager there, has been for a while. I actually, I actually met him on a preferred hotels and resorts. Uh, I guess it was a, a conference, uh, general manager's conference, well, way back in the day at Pebble Beach, which plug is another uh, preferred property. I'm still waiting to get that round at Pebble Beach, Lindsay, so I might have to hit you up for that uh, at some point. But to your point, I mean, these resorts, like Finca Cortesan is like, it's a hotel, sure. But it's it's first of all, it's in a, in an area where you wouldn't you wouldn't like to your point. Um, there's not a lot of luxury resort. I mean, it's it's the Casa del Sol, but it's kind of just it grabs you. Um, it pops out of nowhere. I mean, these kind of destinations. I mean, listen, let's be honest. They cost a lot of money, right? But there's a reason the service you get out of it, the kind of the aesthetic, the beauty. I mean, the F and B. I mean, these places are are almost like once in a lifetime. You know, some pe- some families, whatever it is, can afford to go to these places on a on a you know month yearly basis, whatever it is. These are like places that are leaving indelible marks in the traveler's head, right? I mean, I went there, and it's like, you know, it's just it's just every everything is perfect from the service to the to the room, the food, the golf, the spa. Um, I, you know, I'm, and by the way, I'm not getting paid by preferred or paid by thinking Cortesan to, to talk it up, but it's like, I mean, th- these, these destinations to your point are kind of these, um, these are real experiences it's a little different than going to one of these words than going even to a, even to say like a Ritz Carlton St. Regis, which are all great in a city location, but the, you know, these, these, these are the types of resorts, hotels that leave an indelible mark. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was I was just at Finca, and I was just with Renee, and I I couldn't 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 agree more. I, you know, and you you brought up a point I think that's interesting because because they're independent and because we don't get to put preferred hotels and resorts on the side of the building. It says Finca Courtesan, right? Every hotel has its name. So the the concept is they have to, I I think, work that much harder to create something that is so incredibly unique that it does stand out against the chains, which have the value of. You know, that 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 brand name that's on every building. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're destinations in their own right, and they 
I say they leave an imprint on your heart and soul. They do. Absolutely. Um, and to your point, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a different experience that you get from other types um, of hotels. Although to be fair, you do have, you do have, which to your, to, which almost to your, um, uh, uh, well, you have some branded hotels within your portfolio as well, like at the Montage and Kapalua. But I, th- th- that's an interesting actually point to bring up. Well, what is a brand today? Because, you know, is a brand, if you have a brand, is it, is it more than one hotel? I mean, you know, they're, they're, I feel like there's so many hotels. Well, there, we all know there's so many hotels globally. I think that's like 58,000 even in the U.S. But like everyone's trying to start a brand or whatever it is. What do you? What do you? What's your definition of a brand today? And what should it do? That's a really good question that I don't know that I have the answer to because I think a brand means something different to everybody. You know, I think ultimately a brand is something that it that delivers uh, an experience and a, and a loyalty. Right. So yeah. it's, it's something that you say, you want to go back to it. Yeah. You know, I, I want to, I want to go back. I want to experience it again. Uh, Montage is a great example. When we started with them almost 20 years ago, it was their first property was in Laguna. Yeah. Now fast forward, we've grown together and they're close to 20 hotels with Montage and Pendry and still growing. So, you know, yes, we do work with, um, I'll call it, sm- they're not so small anymore, smart, small yeah. groups or, or, or brands, but at the end of the day, they operate like an independent because every single one of their hotels is very unique. So they're not yeah. cooking. So we would work with groups like a montage who are developing these just incredibly fantastic, amazing, one of a kind properties that really represents the destination that they're in. So you're not yeah. no one montage is the same. No one pendry is the same. So that's why we would continue to work with groups like that, even as they, they grow and scale. Sure. Uh, as long as it makes sense. And that's. That's a great brand that has has built incredible yeah. loyalty. Incredible loyalty. I've What's stayed at the Montage in Deer Park years ago. I don't know if that's one of your hotels, but that was an experience Deer, all on its own. Deer Valley, Utah. Deer Valley. Did I say Deer Park? I was thinking of the water. Yeah. I'm thinking I was, Park City and Deer Valley. So you just yeah, you just married them. I married them together. But I mean, to your point, I mean, even Montage has has um well, maybe this is a good segue. I mean, think about it. You know, they have sub brands too with their Pendry brand too, which is kind of a little bit further, a little bit, you know, under the montage luxury brand, I mean, that kind of lifestyle, upper upscale space. But you guys decided then, and I don't, and I won't even attach you here to it because I don't remember, but it was some years ago to kind of uh, differentiate your hotels, put them in separate, in different categories with legend, with LVX, with lifestyle, with connect, with you even preferred residences, and then bringing that all together under the I prefer kind of rewards, you know, program, which kind of, you know, a, a strong uh, um, rewards program kind of links is the is the kind of the, the brand over all the <clears throat> brands that links them all together. What was the decision then to kind of differentiate and put those into separate kind of, uh, you know, buckets of hotels? Oh gosh, back then, I mean, I don't know if you recall, but we were a family of brands. So at that point in time, under Preferred Hotel Group, we had Preferred Hotels and Resorts, Preferred Boutique, Sterling Summit. Ah, uh, right, it, Sterling. I remember those, yes. Yeah. Now had, so, yes. so it was actually part of a greater plan at that point in time when you know every brand was launching new brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, at one point in time, we were thinking about it started because we were thinking about launching another brand to focus on okay. design-oriented hotels. And... Um, we ended up partnering up with a great gentleman named Robert Louis, who said, why, why are you doing this? You know, why would you launch another brand? You've got this great heritage and equity with preferred hotels and resorts. Maybe it's time to simplify this for the, the traveler as well as the, the travel agent. Yep. So it was, it was part of that process. So we actually retired and collapsed four brands 
moved them all under preferred hotels and resorts as, as our master brand, and then created these, these collections as you reference. And so it was, it was all based on a more simplified way to explain to the traveler and anybody who was staying the type of properties within there. So I would define them as legend, you know, our ultra luxury hotel. Yeah. Then we've got LVX, Lifestyle, Connect, and then our residence collection. And like I said, it was always meant to be a style luxury. You want to get rid of star ratings and all those sort of things. But it was, um, you know, from truly immersive, one of a kind, you could never leave the property to what we talked about earlier. Hey, I'm on a tertiary market. I want a really yeah. good independent hotel, full service. But do I need a 24-hour concierge? No. Do I do I expect to have a spa and a pool? No. But, you know, I expect to have all the kind of those full service amenities. So that was why we, we did it. Um, I think yeah. it helped clarify and declutter. And it, ultimately, I think it, it really helped us compete better in a space that was continuing to be very, very cluttered, you know, new yeah. brands at the time. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. We, you know, we talked about, I've talked about this with you before that, um, you know, the big brands, Marriott, Hilton, they all decided to kind of get in, uh, into your space, into your swim lane a little bit and, and launch their own independent, uh, what they call collections or soft brands. I know you've always said like, there's not kind of a, you know, maybe to welcome them to the the ball game. It took them this long to, fi- to figure that one out, that it's a good business model. Um, what is the competition like for hotels? Do you find there's competition? What, what is the kind of, when they, when they start introducing these soft brands and now every you know big brand company has one, lodging company, um, w- w- did it feel like a threat? In some ways, it really helped us. I'll, I'll be totally candid. You know, it's, what's, what's the term? Uh, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Flatter, um, yeah. I, I think I think I always I'm always a half glass full sort of person. So to me, it was like it's validating the independent um, segment. It, it it just highlighted you know when the chains decided again that they knew that that was where the travelers were going. That they were that's what they were looking for. They wanted something different. They wanted something unique. So it actually helped elevate the 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 brand and what we were doing and we've just been doing it for 50 years longer than everybody else. So, so that was a benefit, but it has dramatically changed the competitive landscape. So whereas before we used to have just traditional competitors in the same hot space that we, we compete in. Now we do compete with all the chains and we compete with, I'll call it some of the regionalized luxury brands. And so for example, would be, let's use Auberge or Rosewood or, you know, that kind of luxury space. Mm -hmm. Um, which a lot of customers associate with being, they'll call it boutique or independent. So, you know, I, I ultimately say it's, it's been a good thing. It's been a good yeah. thing. Ultimately, it, it helps elevate the awareness, but it does make the competition a little bit more intense. Sure. Yeah, it does. When you bring those kind of, uh, um, you know, lodging companies in that have such scale um, and resources. Sorry, that's my that's my, this is live podcast. That's my dog barking uh, right now. Okay. I was waiting for mine. I was I was sort of nudging oh, really? my underneath the table. <laughs> I know. I, I love doing a live podcast. Well, you know, I could probably edit her. There she is. I don't know why she's barking. Probably some of the door. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a very kind of it's it's a more crowded kind of um, uh, air, you know, landscape. But as such, I mean, in terms of you know your job as preferred hotels, actually, I'm going to pause this for a second to stop. Okay from whom um so you know what i was saying before but obviously from a preferred perspective your business is to drive as many bookings right to your partner hotels um i have to ask you that are do you do do your hotels i mean um do, do they some and we talk about otas and that's kind of the 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 do you want to leave it's okay go ahead 
um, OTA business, are they, are, do some of your hotels, are they still using, you know, the Expedia's of the world? How does that all kind of work out? I mean, cause it's such a fragmented, uh, booking, um, kind of ecosystem nowadays. It's like, you know, for me, you know, I book direct always, I might do my research, but I always know to book direct. Uh, absolutely. Cause, and I don't think, I think that the hotel industry has done, to be honest with you, a really poor job in, in educating the public that if you don't book direct, you're not going to get your reward points. You know, it's, it, it's a safer way to book. Do you know what I mean? Than doing it on a hotels.com. And I don't think they, they the, they spent so much money on advertising while well, the OTAs app, but also the brands. And I'm like, you have to do a better job of education of that. But nowadays, I think, you know, direct booking and what you guys do to push those, those bookings to the hotels, but you're still competing with OTAs. And I'm sure some of your hotels still list on them too. How does that all kind of, you know, work its way out? So the OTAs are never going to go away. Um, yeah. And I would say probably the majority of our hotels still put some inventory on OTAs. I mean, like you said, it's it's a billboard. I, I think, and, I'll, and that's how we sort of advise our hotels. Look at it as a billboard, right? There's nothing bad about having some inventory on an OTA or on the, the big OTAs. It's just, what do you do with that, right? So you don't want to have all your inventory on it, otherwise you're just diluting it. But yeah. if you kind of always carve out a small portion, especially during need periods, uh, you look at that as an advertisement. And then what we tell people is as that person comes into your hotel, checks in, you say, oh, I saw that you booked through Expedia. Uh, yeah. Would you like to become a member of our I Prefer program? Which, by the way, gives you benefits. Da, 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 da. And it's right. a way to convert an OTA booker into a direct booker through a loyalty program, which is obviously a much lower cost of sale. So yeah. I think, you know, that's how we look at it. They're, they're, they're part of the they're part of the ecosystem. Um, they're not all bad, you know, like, yeah. If you put it in that context, I mean, the amount of money they spend advertising. I know. So yeah. I, that's how we look at it, right? It, it's just a piece. But sometimes we partner with hotels, new hotels, and you look and you're saying, you're putting 80% of your inventory on OTAs. That should be 20, 15, you know? Right. And and that's part of our job as their partner to help them channel shift that business to ultimately drive more direct bookings, reduce their their cost or that conversion rate to getting that that guest in the room and then convert and then convert them to a loyal guest. Yeah. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about kind of conversion about once, once you have the guests on properties and how you own that guest going forward in terms of not, you know, not owning it, but, but making sure that they understand the kind of benefits of working directly with you, the hotel, the brand, the brand, as opposed to using a kind of an intermediary as it yep. is. Um, so I wanted to ask you just to get your idea on the hospitality industry in general. Now, I just came back from the lodging conference and obviously, well, particularly the brands, they're always optimistic, right? It could be like World War Eight, and they'd still be like, oh, the hotel industry, everything's going great and everything's creating, creating around them. That's just how they're they're built. Um, you know, owners owners are a little bit of a different breed. Where they might tell you a little bit. They might give you really a more un, kind of unvarnished opinion of, what, of what's going on. But the interesting thing is, you know, the... We've heard of all this about revenge travel. People are traveling. I mean, the leisure traveler kind of uh, supported uh, the hotel industry during the pandemic. Um, we're seeing some um, inklings of, of, of corporate travel coming back. Groups are getting back out there. I mean, conferences are, are, are going. But obviously, there's still so many headwinds when we talk about, uh, particularly from an operational standpoint of hotels, inflation, supply chain, the labor issue, as you know, as well as anyone, is not is 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 very difficult to kind of navigate through, uh, with wages going up and even finding people to staff your hotel. And particularly when you think about hotels like yours, where where um, it could be hundreds, thousands of employees, right? 
um, working at one hotel. And then obviously um, there's a war going on still uh, in, in Ukraine. How do you kind of, um, what, what is kind of your viewpoint on everything going forward? Are, are you in the kind of uh, glass half empty, glass, glass half, pool, half full? Um, what are kind of your, what, what's the, the, the kind of the vibe that as you see it right now, wh- where do you think the hospitality industry is right now and kind of where is it going? I'm, I'm definitely a much more bullish glass half full person, but I think it's, I feel like the way I would describe it is we're, we're on the, we're on the rebound to a point of, I think that hospitality and travel is probably going to have one of the greatest rebounds in history. I, I mean, I, I genuinely believe that. I mean, if you look at other kind of world events that have really cratered uh, the travel industry for a period of time, we've always rebounded and rebounded strong. But I think what's happened as a result of the pandemic is, is going to have a greater, more tremendous impact over a longer period of time. Uh, that being said, it depends on where you are in the world. So this past summer for most resorts, especially most, you know, call in the luxury segment for sure. It's been the best year in the history of their hotels, right? Great, great rates, great occupancy. Um, that's, that's continued. Um, city centers have recovered a lot faster than, than intended. Um, group business has come back. The, the, I think that the, the, the biggest confusion right now is, is we used to segment, right? Leisure, corporate group, and now it's all blurred. So now it's just sort of, nobody really understands what it is. It's a leisure traveler that's staying for business or vice versa. I think group business is actually half corporate business because corporations are getting their own teams together in a different way. Um, so I, I think that we're, we're, we're in a great spot. I think it's con- going to continue to improve and evolve. I think segments like corporate are the one that's probably going to lag a little bit longer. Yeah. I think especially because CFOs love to get, love the pandemic in some ways, you know, it, it, it helped curtail a lot of costs. You know, the introduction of technology definitely has changed the way in which, you know, we can we can conduct some business. But at the end of the day, you know, they call it the revenge travel. I've now heard it's called the now traveler. Um, mm. Our freedom was taken away from us, right? We weren't allowed to see people. We weren't allowed to do things. And this concept of bucket list travel, and all, it's gone away. People are like, I want to do it. I want to do it now. I want to I want to be able to connect with people. And I think that that's what's going to continue to fuel our industry and our business in a very positive way, as I said, for a very long time. And I think we're going to be one of the world's greatest industries. You know, we don't sell widgets. We're selling experiences. We're selling human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our, our company motto is believe in travel and, and we do so more than ever. You know, yeah. I, I, I really do believe that we're, it's already, it's already recovered. Now it's, uh, now it's looking at how far can we take it? Yeah. It's all really positive. It's a great point. I, I've always I've written about the fact that I think people just took travel for granted, and it was like this is the kind of doomsday scenario where it was like you can't travel no matter how much. And, that, and, and the one good thing that came out of of the pandemic was for hoteliers, as you recall, you know, back during after nine eleven, back after the, the great financial crisis, hotels like they slashed their rates right, and they just became commoditized. Um, and as you know, it takes to build that back up. Uh, takes time, but this time around, I think hoteliers, um, you know, they held rate, which is which has really led to you know from a top line revenue perspective. That's the way um, you know you might sacrifice a little occupancy, but for a higher rate. But it didn't matter. You could have dropped rates to a dollar. No one could travel anyway, right? So this time around, I think we're in a better position base coming back up um, from, from a hotelier kind of operational perspective. Um, but to your point, I think people 
taking travel for granted, want to get back out there. And, and even, you know, corporate might be still a little bit uh, muted. But, you know, when you talk to anyone, they always say the first time your competitor, you know, gets the deal over you because they were able to shake the client's um, hand in person, that's when that company says, okay, it's time to, you know, take the shackles off travel and you need to get back there on the road and start seeing your customers. But I mean, I, you guys, I, I, you know, the bulk of your, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the volume, the kind of mix of traveler, it skews more leisure on your, on your hotels. Am I correct in saying that? We're, we're actually about a 50, 50 split. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I know it's, it's sort of a mis- misnomer. We, we, you know, cause we do have a lot of beautiful, um, you know, luxury hotels, but there's yeah. still a lot of corporate business going through those, those luxury hotels. So, so we definitely were, um, that definitely hurt us, you know, it, not yeah. only during the pandemic, but even as we recover. Uh, but I, I said, I, I just think it's also, it's, it's going to change, you know, corporate travel yeah. is changing. And to your point, comp- competitor, even during the pandemic, I told our, our team, I just said, I don't care if you're just on video calls, call your clients, stay connected. Yeah. So said, in, until you can do that face to face. Um, it yeah. is. It's all about relationships and, and staying connected. But I think to your point, d- days of travel are, are different now because, you know, people are, are going, you know, maybe they're they're going for a business trip, but then on the weekends, maybe they're bringing their family with them or like that whole leisure idea of, of mixing the both together because, you know, people are, you could still be at a hotel and still be doing a Zoom, right? You're just doing it at your hotel, yeah. but you have your kids at the pool or whatever it is, you know, it's a different, it, it's it's changed a lot, I think. And I think it's maybe here today. Yeah. I spent my entire summer in Europe and I would work Monday, Tuesday, half day, Wednesdays, yeah. and then Thursday, Friday, and the weekends, I would travel for pleasure and, or just, right. you know, be one of our properties and just not work. So, you know, you can do that anywhere around the globe nowadays. And Lindsay, I want to travel with you. You sound like you have the greatest job in the world and you might, you <laughs> might just have that. So let's, let's take this yes. on the road. I got you. So we're at the end at the end of the podcast now. What I do, I don't know if you've if, I'm sure you've listened to Hotel Talk before. Every it's like the number one rated podcast on iTunes. And I'm just kidding. We will be there one day, right? But what I do at the end with every guest is I don't know if you've ever watched the show Inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton. Uh it was a show on Bravo, uh, where basically James Lipton was this charismatic uh uh theater teacher and he would have a, a actor uh, on with him. And at the end of every show, he would ask them these seven questions, right? That got to the mm-hmm. court, a questionnaire. Um, okay. And I did it with every guest now, now don't worry, it's nothing. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll pass with flying colors, but I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you a series of questions and you just kind of pop out whatever, whatever comes to mind. Does that work for you? That, that works. I'm, I'm now like really nervous though. Hopefully, you know, no, don't be. it's, all, it's all, all, all fun. So let's see. No, no, no guest before has ever, um, you know, uh, uh, cratered under the, under the pressure, they've always gotten through it. So, um, okay. I'm going to ask you the first question now. What is your favorite word? Mm-hmm. I know this should be like, like roll off my, my probably I love. It's tough. Love. One. Love. Okay. That's a good one. I, love I tell people love all the good. time, you know, people I work with. Yes. What is your least favorite word? Mm. I, you're like really stumping me on this. My least favorite word would probably be hmm, probably when people say, I don't know. It's not even yeah. a word. It's just sort of like, Oh, it's three words. I'll give it to you, but I get okay. that. Um, uncertainty, right? Uh, what, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Travel. What turns you off? Oof. Uh, 
what turns me off creative spiritually anything that you know stagnancy like i think when you're around people who just negative negativity i guess it would be negativity Negativity. i don't like negative negative energy what sound or noise do you love rain what sound or noise do you hate when my dogs are barking incessantly at the door what profession other than your own would you like to attempt i'd love to be a location scout for the movies very cool what profession, well, you're in the right town. What profession would you not like to attempt? You know, sometimes I look at those jobs, like if you're the person that worked at like the toll booth on the the, the toll roads, you know, something that's like, yeah, you're your interaction. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough it's one. It's not really a profession, I, I, but yeah, I think anything that has to do with, you know, repetitiveness. Yeah. Yes, or collecting people's change. Um, yeah. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did a good job. Very good. Thank you, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Great, great speaking with you. And uh, I'm going to take you up on that offer and uh, do maybe, maybe I'll do a thing where I just call it travel with Lindsay and we just go around to all the preferred hotels in the world. And I, I do some inspections. I play some golf, Ooh. maybe a massage, dinners. That sounds like a good time. What do you think? Yeah, you could. We could, you could do some podcasts from the road. And then maybe what yes. you do is you're interviewing some, uh, you know, general managers or, or, or owners of some of these great groups. I mean, I think you could. I think you could have some fun doing it. I love it. You'll, you'll, you'll be here. We'd love to have you do that. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate it. All right. It was great to talk to you. And uh, let's say great to reconnect after all these years. Okay, that was my talk. Great talk with Lindsay Uroth. I love Lindsay. As you heard, we actually go way back, uh, interestingly enough, when I talked to her about uh, my first story that I ever wrote for Luxury Travel Advisor Magazine. 2006, right? Wow. That's a long time ago. Um, I had a lot more hair than I did then. Less wrinkles, too. But I think my fashion taste has actually gotten better since then. But anyway, having talking to her, her father back then, um, so it all kind of uh, came together, came around this time around. So I hope you enjoyed uh, my discussion with with Lindsay. Um, teeing it up, our next podcast, you're going to get to hear from Demetrius Manicus, the president of and managing director, I believe, EMEA of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. I spoke with him at the annual hotel conference, which I alluded to in the intro um, in Manchester. So we had a fantastic uh, discussion there. If you know Demetrius, um, the man has some gr- talking about fashion sense. The guy's got probably, I'm sure, I haven't been in his home before because that would be weird, but a uh, collection of, of eyeglasses. Uh, he's got some fantastic eyeglasses that every time I see him, every even at a conference, of, you know, if it's a two-day, three-day conference, every, every day he's got a different set of eyeglasses on. So, um I appreciate that about Demetrius, but I, I get to speak with him and it's a great podcast. It's very, um, it's a poignant one. I obviously actually, he's, uh, uh, from Greece. Um, very proud of that distinction. Uh, we talk about Greece. It talk even, it gets emotional. We talk a little bit about, um, the Holocaust and what, and somehow it went down a rabbit hole and talking about the Holocaust again and then what happened um, in Greece there with Jews there because I I am Jewish Um, this this is a good segue actually a transition Um, and I had no idea that what the impact was there in Greece 
but there was. Um, so we talk about that. And like I said before, a good segue because I get to travel again in a couple weeks. I'm going to actually to go to Israel. Um, I've never been to Israel. And when you're Jewish and, you, and you're 46 years old and you've never been to Israel, that um, you don't wear that as a badge of honor. It's almost like a scarlet. Well, I guess it's not. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to uh, Israel for a investment conference there. Uh, and I'm excited to go there since I've never been there before. Never done birthright. Uh, but I'll be in Tel Aviv the 13th to the 17th reporting from there. So I'm excited about that. And that's it. Phillies and six. Speak to you next time. <laughs>